Awesome. Good everyone. How's it going? Cheers. Uh, thanks for that, Monica. It's so nice to be able to have a bit of context, eh? As uh, I get the great pleasure of being able to wrap up uh, this Get Wrecked series that we've been on. And so as Monica has kind of expressed all these different themes, um, we're going to pick on this very last theme of reaching out. But seeing as I'm closing the series and kind of closing our series through James and as we walk through, I figure it's best to probably go towards the end of James where he kind of wraps everything up. So let me just pray and then we will kick into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are faithful and you are with us. Even when we don't get everything right, uh, even when we fall apart all the time and you know, even if we you know, behave like annoying children raging against the things that are going at us, we rage at you, we run away from the people around us, God, you are still faithful to us, always in the midst of that. So we pray that as we look through your scriptures today, we pray that you would speak to us, like Monica said, a word that cuts us deep in a way that's both painful but wonderful as we hear your truth in a new and a fresh way. In your name we pray, amen. Cool. So the section of scripture we're going to be picking up from is just at the end of James in chapter 5. And James, after going through all these different things, he's talked about patience, he's talked about perseverance, he's talked about joy in trials, he's talked about letting trials work its way through you so that you can become the person God has created you to be. He gets to this very last bit and he says to the struggling, persecuted congregation, he says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So now, honest moment with you guys. When I was reading this scripture and I kind of read through these passages on, on James, I thought, ah, oh, stink. Ugh. Because what James has done is after doing all these things, he's basically saying, hey, turn to one another and ask each other for help. Which you guys probably, you guys are probably saying wonderful people and think that's fine. But in my opinion, when I get to a verse like this, I think this, asking for help is the worst. Just absolutely the worst. And maybe you guys are better at this, but for me, uh, one of the examples is when I, when I go into MITRE 10, I'm not a uh, tools kind of person. Uh, not mechanical, I'm not practical, but when I walk into MITRE 10, I'm not going to ask someone where I need to find something. I'm going to wander that warehouse for years until I find that specific thing. And, and the funny thing with MITRE 10, I've realized, is that after you've wandered through their warehouse for about a decade, and you've lost all hope and sense of who you are, and you finally think, okay, maybe now I'll ask someone for help, you realize the great joke is that there's no one in there to ask for help anyway, because they all go off and do their own thing. It's the worst. But maybe you guys are, so I hate asking for help. It's often a really uncomfortable thing. Another way this often played out for me was, uh, so I grew up as a missionary kid, and we were, we were Assemblies of God, so Pentecostal kind of denomination. So it was really common that at one of these services, you'd have someone who'd give an altar call, right? And they'd get up there and be like, if you have this, if you have this, come forward for prayer and God will meet you and it'll be awesome. And sometimes that was cool, but then there are some days where you're like, nah, not a chance. 
You know, it doesn't matter how specific the guy gets. It wouldn't matter if this guy said to me, uh, you know, there's someone in here whose name is Colin and he grew up in Mexico and God wants to meet with you today. I'd look at my friend's straight face and be like, it's probably not me. Colin's a really common name and inward I'd be thinking, not a chance, holy man. I'm not moving from my seat. But it's true. Does that, is anyone else or does anyone else hate asking for help? Or is it just me? It's probably, it's probably just me. You guys are really good Christians, aren't you? <laughs> Maybe not. But the reason I think we all hate asking for help and having to reach out is because in asking someone for help and turning to someone else and saying, hey, look, I need help with this, there's this terrible moment where you have to be vulnerable. This terrible moment where you have to say, I either don't know the answer to this, I don't have everything together, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, and I need you to help me. And it's this incredibly painful, horrible, and awful humbling circumstance. So none of us really like being vulnerable, which is why very few of us enjoy asking for help from someone else. And so because we all dislike vulnerability, we often turn to these other strategies, these other modes to kind of help us get through it so that we can avoid, we can go through life and do our things and be in church where we hear all these amazing words and relate with people, but we never actually have to be vulnerable or real with one another. And we develop these amazing coping strategies. Now, these are just some of mine and uh, may maybe they'll uh, resonate with you as well. One of the main things we do is when we don't want to be vulnerable, we numb. We take the emotions and the feelings that we have that are not good and not comfortable and we say, Nope, not going to feel it. And it comes out in things like this. If someone's going through a really hard time and you ask them about it, you're like, hey, how you doing? They say, oh, I haven't really thought about it. You're like, really? You haven't thought about it? No, no, I haven't thought about it. What have you been doing for the last 10 days? Oh, watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on Netflix nonstop and uh, eating ice cream from a container. Oh, not been thinking about it. Now I understand. We go through these coping me mechanisms that we numb ourselves so we don't have to think about it. We push down the emotion, and then we go on with our day. Another coping mechanism with numbing is you just make yourself constantly busy. So as things get worse and you begin to feel a little insecure, you just keep on saying yes to more and more and more things because the busier you are, the more you can just shove down your emotions and not actually have to think about the things you're going through. But the difficulty with numbing is that you can't selectively numb your emotions. You can't just filter out the bad vibes but still feel all the good ones. As much as you numb your negativities, your fears, your doubts, your anger, you also end up numbing your joy, your life, your love, your vitality. They all get numbed and you end up being this numb shell. But sometimes for many of us, that's easier than being vulnerable with someone else. Another coping strategy is we, make, we try to make the uncertain things certain. And this is super common in uh, religion and faith. You know, before, faith used to be a lot about just embracing the mystery of life. But if you hit trials and you hit circumstances, this coping strategy ends up sounding a lot like, oh, you know, you're, are you really sick? Yeah, I'm sick, but it's okay. God will heal me. Okay. Or someone else is, are you going through a really tough time? Yeah, we don't have a lot of money, but it's okay. God's going to provide. And you're like, well, yes, yes, God will provide. But the way you're saying that doesn't make me think that's why you're saying that. Because part of this journey that James has been taking us through is that there's this whole element of mystery in God leading us through persecution. And so there's a truth to saying, yes, God will provide when we are lacking in need. 
but there's also a real mystery of knowing how God will provide for us even in our need. And we can pray that God will heal us, and yes, God does heal, but as part of our coping mechanisms to not be vulnerable with one another, we say, oh, God will heal me, and then we'll shut the book and call it done, not realizing that God sustains us even through our sickness. And there's a mystery that sometimes God doesn't heal, and we just have to walk through that. But we use this coping mechanisms to make the uncertain things certain, so we don't have to deal with it. The final thing we do is, uh, or at least that I do, is we project perfection. Now, when I say perfection, I don't actually mean perfection, so I probably should have used a different word, shouldn't I have? When I say perfection, it's not, because no one here would be like, yeah, I'm a perfect person, I get everything right. When I say project perfection, we project what we think is perfection to other people. Let me give you an example. Um, so I grew up as a missionary kid, right? And so my dad was a pastor. And so I got, I didn't want to be like too much of a bad boy because his job kind of depended on it. And so you, I developed this coping mechanism to try and be the person that I thought other people wanted me to be. And it just became a way of life for me um, to the point that when I first went to join YWAM, and this is so bad, no one ever do this, but when I first went to go join YWAM, there's this common thing in YWAM where often everybody will sit in a circle and they have everybody share their testimony, right? I might have shared this with a few of you. You, you, you just go around and everyone will share their testimony. And I thought, okay, this is going to be an awkward, vulnerable space. I need to cope with this. So what I did is I looked at the circle and I sat around three quarters of the way down the circle. And as people shared their testimony, I made sure I kept an eye out for the people who were in a similar bracket as me. Young guys from a Western nation. And I listened to their testimonies, you know? And so I listened as these guys went through. Yes, someone got, one guy had been having sex with all these women and came to Jesus. And I thought, I don't know if I could pull that off. I'm a goody two shoes. So then it went around and another guy was like, oh yeah, I was really into drinking and drugs. And I thought, huh. Now I know I couldn't pull off drugs because I don't know the names of all of them. But I bet I could pull off drinking. Okay. And it went through and then another guy was like, yeah, I just was really angry with my parents. And he had a ministry background. He's so mad with his folks. And I thought, oh, that's a good one too. That's a really good one. So when it came to me, I told my story. I just spiced it up a little bit. Just add a little bit of little extras to make it a bit more exciting. So, because the true story is that my parents were really lovely. I grew up in a Christian home and I never really went off the rails because they were really cool and they always kind of walked through this journey with me. But instead, I was like, yeah, yeah, my parents are great. Lovely, grew up as a missionary kid. Uh, but when I was about 15, I was really angry because my dad was, you know, super involved in ministry and, you know, didn't pay a lot of attention to us as kids. So, I went through this real rebellious phase, you know, and, um, Never really got into drugs because that seemed too much for me. But, you know, I got really into drinking and had a few girlfriends, but never got too serious with them because I was really angry. And, but it was really good because God, you know, took me through it. And after that, I saw, man, you know, God really broke me. And it was really tough, but he broke me of that addiction. And I'm really in a, a much better place now. And everyone was like, wow, Colin, that's amazing. God's done such good things in your life. And I was like, I know, I know, please stop it. Stop it. You're making me bashful. Um, <laughs> but we project perfection. Now, just to let you know the end of the story, about halfway through my uh, discipleship school, I realized lying about your testimony is not a great thing to do. God was like, hey, maybe don't lie. And I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. So instead, I thought I need to fix this. And this doesn't relate to the sermon, but I'll let you know because you're probably curious. Uh, Rather than like going back to everyone and being vulnerable and saying, hey guys, I lied about my testimony because I was insecure and God's dealing with my own insecurities. Instead, I just started telling the truth again. Um, 
and just didn't acknowledge that I'd said anything differently. So this one day I was on a bike ride with this one of the people and they were asking me, I was like, oh, Colin, you had a real past. And I was like, no, no. She's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you said you drank a lot as a teenager, didn't you? And I was like, nah, never touched the stuff. She's like, are you sure? I'm pretty sure that was you. And I was like, definitely not me. It's probably, there's this other guy, Weston. He looks like me. He's American, similar age. You sure you're not thinking of him? I guess it probably was him. And I was like, yes! Coping mechanisms to avoid vulnerability. So what we do is when we project perfection, we project a version of ourselves that we think other people want from us. And we try and hold this facade for as long as we can because vulnerability is terrible. And the main reason we do all these coping strategies and put all these things together is because it's all in a big effort to maintain control in order to protect ourselves. And that's, in a sense, on its own, that's not a bad thing. To try and protect yourself and shield yourself from a lot of things that are coming at you, it's a really natural response. So it's really normal for any of us to try and use these mechanisms to keep ourselves safe. The difficulty is when these mechanisms begin to take over and become patterns of behavior that inhibit us from being vulnerable with one another. And that's why James, throughout this whole book, kept on trying to get, to get his people group and his church to let go of control. He says it like this at the beginning, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing saying to them, guys, this is just a part of life and these trials, these difficulties that you face, part of it is learning to let go and let God in the process. Because as much as we all desperately, desperately try to, to hold things together and to maintain control and to pre preserve an image of ourselves and to keep ourselves numb so that we don't have to be vulnerable and to try and make these uncertain things certain, when we try to do all those, we're holding back against what God is doing in undoing us because God will undo each of us. Paul says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul describes this process of this you, this us, this perfect person that we are trying to preserve, control and protect the call of the gospel is saying that person needs to be given over to Christ. And in a very difficult and often painful process, Christ will crucify that person. And that, that empty hollow shell that we were, those fears, those insecurities, we open ourselves up to the loving arms of God and say, God, have your way, <laughs> be merciful to us. And the message of the gospel is that when we do, it is no longer than us who lives, but instead it's Christ who then lives in us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through trials and temptations, for this trials tests your faith and produces in you the character that God wants for you. This whole message that Paul and James are trying to show is that as much as we try to maintain control on these things, we've got to let go. And we've got to let God. And some of us has to get put to death and it's a really awkward, vulnerable process because we're letting go of control. So where does this passage come back into it? Where does reaching out 
to one another come into it? Why does James finish his letter the way he does? And that's because it's really easy to get lost in the process. Monica did a fantastic job a few weeks ago talking about these trials, these difficulties that we face as a storm. And in a sense, as long as we're trying to maintain control on ourselves and protect our image and numb our emotions and make these uncertain things certain, as much as we're trying to hold ourselves together, it's like our one anchor that we feel like is keeping us safe. It's the safety line that we feel like holds us together in the midst of it, because if we feel like if we let go of some of those things, we might just unravel. And unravel in a way we can no longer control, in a way we're not sure if we're going to be able to be put back together again. But when we lift up that anchor, and we let go control, and we allow God to just run us through these stormy seas and guide us, it's really easy to get lost in the process. Let me put it another way. When you're in the midst of difficulty or sickness, it's really hard to believe that God is a loving God who heals you. When you're running out of finances and your bank balance is empty, it's really hard at that moment to believe that God is going to provide for you. When you've lost a loved one or a friend, it's really hard to believe that God is loving. It just is. Because all those things we thought we held on to now are gone and we're just swimming in the storm, not sure how we're going to hold on to things. And it's so easy to get lost in the process. When we finally open ourselves up, it's not safe. It's difficult and we trust God. And this is why James finishes this letter out this way. When you have done this, when you've given yourself over to God and you're letting the trials and the temptations run their course in you so that your faith might be developed, reach out. Reach out to one another. Because truth is, it's very, very hard to hold on to God in the midst of that. I've been through that journey when I've lost loved ones. There are moments where I actually can't pray on my own to God because I'm just so angry with him. There have been moments where I've run through and I've been doubting that if God's even there, it's hard to pull together a prayer when I'm like, I don't even know if God's real. Much less, how do I pray to him? Much less, how do I say, God, you're good in the midst of that? It's really hard. James says, reach out. See, the Christian faith was never meant to be a personal and private thing. It was never meant to be a just you and Jesus thing. There are elements of just you and Jesus, but that is not the sum total of faith. And as long as you keep on thinking of Christianity as just me and Jesus, me and Jesus, and we'll be sorted, when you hit these rough spots and it's really hard to find Jesus, who do you turn to? That's why the whole of the New Testament is constantly talking about us being placed into a body a community, a family. Remember when we talk about baptism, it's not just this covenant between you and God, but you are brought into a family that wraps their arms around you and holds onto you in the midst of your storm. So when you are sick and you're having difficulty believing God can heal you, reach out to someone else who has that faith at that moment. And they say, yep, you may not see God as good, but I do. And I'm going to stand with you and pray for you. When your bank balance is low and you don't know if God is going to provide, that's when you reach out to the person next to you and say, look, I don't have the faith. Can you pray for me? And they say, yeah, because I know God provides. One of my favorite things is um, coming into a church uh, on a Sunday morning. And uh, there have been lots of days where I desperately don't want to be there, particularly as a pastor, because you kind of have to be there. There are some days where you really don't want to be there. 
You know, and there are some days where honestly, you don't feel like you can sing a lot of these songs. You read these words and you're like, that, that is so far from my life experience now. I, I can't even get close. You read words like, I surrender all. Ah, God's just taken everything from me. Did I even give him permission? How can I sing that? You know, you read words like, God is good all the time. And you're like, I just lost loved ones and friends. How can I sing that? But one of the most beautiful things for me is you walk into a church on a Sunday morning. And as you gather together with your family and as we begin to sing these words, I know there are days where I won't be able to sing every one of them, but there's something beautiful in being able to rest in a family that can for me. Where I can say, look, I can't sing this word, but I'm really happy to be carried by the voices of those around me. I don't know that I can say God is good this morning, but I'm so happy to stand in a family that will sing God is good. I don't know if I can surrender everything to God this morning, but I'm so happy to be able to be around a family that can shout, God, we give you everything because I can be carried by their faith when my faith is weak and lost in the midst of a storm. That's why James tells us to reach out to one another because he knows this isn't an easy path. He knows this isn't an easy journey we're gonna go through and he knows we are going to need one another. We just have to be ready to let go of that control over ourselves let go of that image of perfection we're trying to project. Let go of that, that goody-goody sense that we need to be, that person who comes in and has it all together, and be able to turn to the ones around us and say, can you pray with me? Because I just can't this morning. So I'm going to come back to James now. And we'll read it through again. And let these words wash, wash over you. In whatever place you're at, in whatever thing you're going through, in whatever difficulty you face, let these words wash over you. Are there any among you who are suffering? Turn to one another in prayer. If you can't sing that song, if you can't see God is good, grab someone next to you and say, I need you to pray with me. I need you to walk this journey with me. I need you to pray for me because I can't pray today. I need you to talk to God with me because I can't form the words, if you are suffering, grab someone next to you and pray. Are any of you cheerful? Then rejoice and sing because there are some of us here who don't have a lot to sing about. And they might just need that song to carry them through the morning to know that there is still light on the other end of the tunnel. Rejoice. If God has done something great in your life, get up, from the, get up on the stage, get out in the rooftops and shout it and let people know because sometimes someone just needs to hear that it does happen, sometimes. That it's happening for someone. And even if it's not happening for me right now, I know that God does still do it. And he will carry me through this. Are any of you sick? Walking through difficulty with illness or sickness or loss and bereavement in your family? Call people around you to pray. It's difficult to understand a God who heals, a God who provides, a God who cares. When we're walking through the midst of the storm, grab the elders around you who know that God heals and ask them to come, to anoint you with oil and to pray for you, to carry you when you're too weak to carry yourself. Have any of you sinned? In the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this trial that you're going through, have you gone in a way that God doesn't want? 
Have you turned to a coping mechanism that satisfies your short-term needs but pushes away God in the long term? Have you turned to destructive behaviors that you know are wrong, that you know are hurtful, but you just can't do anything else? Grab someone and tell them. Let go of this image of control. Let go of this perfect person that we try to be. Be real, be vulnerable, reach out and allow God to work through you, through his family and through his body. If I can ask the team to come out, we're just gonna close now. It's a hard word. Vulnerability is awkward and it's difficult and it, it doesn't come out the right way all the time and asking someone for help is sometimes the worst and the last thing that we want to do. But the truth is, we cannot do this faith journey alone. It can never be just me and Jesus. It needs to be me, Jesus, and a whole bunch of people that can help me walk this road. Because if you're anything like me, you mess up all the time. You get it wrong all the time. And you need some people to help remind you that God still loves you. God is still with you. God is still caring for you. He has not forsaken you, but he is right next to you. And I can prove it because I am next to you. And I am praying with you. And God is here with us. So in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your difficulty, reach out. Because the prayer of a righteous person, a friend, a brother, a sister, a pastor, an elder, a mother, a father, is powerful and effective. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's sometimes really hard to turn to those around us and it's really hard to ask for help. It's really hard to open ourselves up to you, much less other people. But God, you are still faithful in the midst of this. Lord, would you meet us in our insecurities, in the places where we are too scared or afraid to utter the things that are going on within us, and would you fill us with your strength, Holy Spirit, that we can let go of control, lift up anchor in the midst of the storm, open up our arms, and let you have your way within us. And we pray that as we, in the midst of the storm, and when it's even most difficult to see you, we pray that you would provide your church, your body, your arms and your hands to wrap around us and to carry us, even in the midst of difficulty. I thank you that you are always with us. You've promised to never leave and to never forsake us. And we entrust ourselves to you this evening. In your mighty name we pray, amen.